tab, I'm saving it for the end. Uh, how about this? I will say, at the end of this episode, I'm going to talk about my nerdy thing of the week, and I'm going to pay Nick Hyde what is one of the highest compliments I think I've ever given. I am anxious about that, and that fearful energy, I think, is what's going to motivate me to get through the rest of this episode. <laughs> so let's get to that as quickly as possible by shooting through this episode of what is known as the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And this is a podcast where we talk about the television. But because we don't really like doing that as much as you think we would, we mostly just talk about other nerd shit that we like, and people seem to enjoy that, and everyone gets along fine with it. But as a jumping-off point, we do need to at least talk about one episode of the television series. And that episode today is going to be Season 5, Episode 23, officially titled The Launch Acceleration. And before we talk about the episode itself... We uh, have been doing upfront reviews. Kyle, do you have a quick review of this? You mean a rating? Well, yeah, rating. Yes. Okay. I mean, I that's that. that it, I don't mean to be like pedantic about it. I was just I wanted to make sure I knew what you were asking for. Uh, well, yes, the rating. Yeah, out of whatever arbitrary scale you would like well, to use. Uh, well, no, you picked fifth. You picked thirteen, and it's been that way ever since. So. Well, but I, uh, you can still use what you like. Uh, I'm going to stick with 13. Yes, that's what I thought. Uh, I don't know. This one felt good. You know, it was there was plenty of stuff going on. Uh, not as good as uh, either of the uh, of the insanity of that one episode, which was my favorite. But, uh, you know, 8 out of 13. Oh, I have to go a little lower. I'm going to go 6 out of 13 because it is a double fake out episode where it promises some sort of well so there's not much progression with wallowitz who gets the a plot but there is uh significant well progression with the b plot background we'll get to that i guess i'll start summing up anyway uh yeah let's just uh pick this part real quick so um as i was kind of getting carried away with there we do have an a plot uh which features our wallowitz who uh in the beginning of the episode is told that he is not actually going to get to go on his NASA mission uh, for which he is primarily going to be responsible for a telescope uh, because of the capsule. Uh, he feigns disappointment before uh, letting loose his hoots and hollers of joy. He goes around making different plans uh, and kind of uh, figuring out what he's going to do with his new carefree lifestyle now that he doesn't have to risk his uh, life potentially dying in space. Uh, but to very tightly sum it up it all wraps around to uh the end of the episode uh he finally uh, after confronting bernadette's dad about uh whether or not he's going to go to space given that uh he is called back to the mission and the new trip has an accelerated timeline that will conflict with his wedding uh, whether whether he can take that knowing it's gonna goof that up uh the shortcut the, the dad says uh yeah, of course you can do it because uh, this thing about you being an astronaut is the only thing I've ever liked about you. And so you better go be an astronaut and make me proud. So there's obviously more to it. That's Wallowitz's uh, plotline condensed. Meanwhile, in the background, uh, there's kind of an info dump where uh, apparently... Uh, so Penny and uh, Leonard uh, have been dating in the background forever long. Uh, it's revealed, uh, or maybe I just assumed they were humping. Uh, but yeah, I guess not. I guess uh, they've been dating for four months, taking it slow. They finally decide to uh, get some sex time in 
and immediately during their uh, sexy times, Leonard proposes marriage. Uh, it makes things weird, uh, but then they kind of get over it, get back together, uh, and it's cute, and it's over with. But yeah, so their relationship continues to more or less healthily progress in spite of uh, Leonard's awkwardness. But it is not a feature of the, the season right now. It's still in the background. Oh, and I forgot uh, another significant element of the episode, which is Amy, everyone's trying to make it fo- take it forward. Amy is trying to accelerate Sheldon's interest in her by uh, doing all sorts of things for Sheldon uh, that, that he loves, which uh, apparently all feature childhood comfort foods, like getting him strawberry quick and spaghetti with cut-up hot dogs in it. Uh, and it totally works. Uh, he's he's miserable that she's trying so hard to make him happy. There are our cute little people are all trying to make each other happy, and oh, it's leading to comic weirdness. Ah, uh, but overall, you know, not a bad episode. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm gonna bump this up to a seven now that I'm looking back on it. Yeah. But those are just the the big picture uh, plot points. Let's let's get into details, Kyle. Anything uh, stuck on your craw that you would like to start with? Uh, no, I mean, just so like you said, uh, one of the things I liked about this episode is that it, it did feel like they had set up a structure to it, which is this is just the episode where we check in with all the couples and see where they're at, which was part. Uh, I mean, we've been like last week's episode was Bernadette and Wallowit centric as well. So um, so we'd already had some of that. Um and then this episode, it's like, I mean, I always feel like, I'm not sure if we're near the end of the season, but I always feel like I know when we're getting close to, like, either the mid-season or the end of the season, because that's when they're, they, like, start paying attention to the fact that Leonard and Penny are in a relationship again. And so we got some of that. Yeah, this is, I noticed, the penultimate episode of the season. So, yeah, I have to, they do something within the se- uh, episode, I guess. Yeah, so next episode will probably, will either be Wallowitz in space or will be the wedding or will be both. If the Amazon little image previews are any indication, I think we're going to get some Amazon, some Wallowitz in space at the beginning of next season. But we'll see. Whoa. Ah, I wonder what they'll do. Maybe the episode ends with him going into space. I uh, I think, anyway. I think we're going to get some of that, yeah. It's it's almost like I, it's so important for me to predict what's going to happen. On What are these brilliant screenwriters, these Game of Thrones level twist masters going to throw at us? Can I see it coming? It doesn't matter. But no, I just like checking in with all the couples. Uh, you know, uh, nice to see uh, Sheldon and Amy. Shamey. See what they're up to. I like that Amy is being very proactive finally because uh, I I don't know how long it's I mean they say the relationship has been going on for two years which feels like a long time it hasn't felt that long in watching the series time but maybe that's because we've been watching this during a pandemic Uh, but yeah, Amy is finally putting her foot down and it's like I think they started dating about two seasons ago Oh my god. Ugh. I'm sorry, audience, but I just... The extent to which I'm wasting my life is really weighing on me, like, right now, mid-episode. Mid but we're gonna power through! <laughs> oh, I can't believe we continue to do this! But, oh, I got, some, I got some giggles out of it today, so we're gonna keep going. But no, I actually thought her plan was... I mean, I both like her plan and I like Sheldon's reaction to it, which is... 
she's like, wait, I just remembered I'm a prof like I'm a professional brain expert. So I know how brains work. So I'm literally going to, it's not just the childhood thing. She's basically taking all, I mean, it is, but what she's explicitly doing is she's taking all of his positive associations, basically anything that makes him happy in general. And she's associating herself with it so that when he thinks of her, he will think of happy, happy things and happy memories. He's in, essentially she's, it's inception. She's incepting him. Which I, you know. There should be an episode of that. I don't know. I guess I don't know where this comes out in re the release of Inception. But if they had a really gimmicky Inception episode where she tried to dive deep into Sheldon's psyche and to find it inhabited by uh, the various figments of the other nerds as levels of his own subconscious. Uh, but you know what? I'm not here to criticize it for what it's not. I can't say that I didn't like this episode because it wasn't about Inception. Uh, but I, I just want that now. That's the fan yeah. fiction I'm writing. No, that, ah, very good. Uh, yeah, I don't think that it's, um, like, I think what's funny about it, it is that Sheldon assumes it won't work, but then obviously it works. And, uh, and, um, frankly, I think it would work on any of us. Like, not this specific, th obviously not the, um, well, I don't know, because you are, you are an eccentric human being, and every time I think I have you pegged, your brain turns out to work completely the opposite of the way I think it works. So it's possible someone trying to do this to you... Well, actually, sorry, I'm, I should finish a sentence. Um, basically, what's funny about the episode is that uh, she is... Everything she's doing for him is wonderful and he loves it and it makes him happy, but he can see that he's being manipulated and that is making, that is what is actually making him miserable. The fact that she reads him so easily that she can give him what he wants and he can't, he doesn't have the willpower to say, no, I don't want to do this. Um, so it just made me, it's like, I think basically, you know, if some girl Nick were like, hey, sit down, I made your favorite, you know, your favorite meal of all time. And also you want to play some Final Fantasy VI and uh, I don't know. And uh, maybe afterwards we can watch Dark City. Um, uh, this is how I know I'm in the Matrix. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like, nope, nope, this is all too perfect. Some, I'm being harvested for energy right now. That's what's going on. That's, that's exactly what, I, what this is about. Yeah, that's what I thought. I think at first glance you'd be incredibly happy and about it, mm. and then your mounting anxiety about this feels too right would slowly destroy your ability to be with a person who just wants to make you happy. I am confident that this is all a ploy to lure me into a state of uh, comfort that will uh, make me want to divulge all sorts of secrets, and that the only reasonable thing I can do to respond to this is assume that everyone is part of some vast network conspiring against me and that to uh, respond to them, I must murder them in a killing spree. <laughs> Just thoughtlessly and without hesitation uh, and without discriminating based on uh, age, race, uh, sex. Just murdering them carelessly around me. Which, I don't know, that's something apparently, that's a recent, or maybe it was always a criticism of The Matrix that... Uh, the, the implicit need that anyone at any time could be an enemy and so you kind of have a free license to kill whoever for any reason. 
I don't know. Like, yeah, no, I mean, that's been my cri- not. I I don't think it was my criticism when I saw it when I was like fourteen and thought it was the greatest movie ever made. But yeah, as an adult, the thing that really jumps out at you at that at that first movie. And to be fair, I think that the Wachowskis realize this because they've never done it. They, you know, one of the things that uh, I would argue made the sequels less fun is that they stop shooting people except for agents and other weird programs. Because, but like one of the things that. Uh, that Morpheus tells Neo very clearly in the first Matrix movie is you don't got to worry about these folks. They're not, they're not, uh, they're basically NPCs. They're pawns. If, yes. you, if you shoot them in the head, it's don't feel any guilt about it. Well, not only don't feel any guilt, but the fact that a, an agent could at any time take one of them over makes them potential hostiles. And so, like, they are they are not neutral, but they or anything are just bombs waiting to go off. Yes, uh, people, people fun always, movie. Yeah, people always want to be like, the, the Matrix is a great trans and liberal manifesto. And I'm like, I get why. You, it, it's definitely those things. It is also the work of someone, of people who feel very much that, like, they are smarter and better than everybody else. And they are so frustrated at how dumb and conformist all the normies are. And it's like, hey, I get that, too. Yeah, I also feel like I just had to make it clear what I was referring to after I realized I was kind of mumbling about mass murder and want to be like, no, I'm specifically talking about the Matrix, everyone. Yeah, I do appreciate <laughs> you clarifying that because at first I was like, oh, so that's, he's he's always that close to the edge, huh? That's, that's one bad day away, huh? Yeah, I mean, also true, but that's only because I'm just always thinking about the Matrix. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Pretty good movie. Ah, uh, anyway, we were talking about instead this fun TV show, uh, just a hard deviation from whatever the hell we were just talking about. Bernadette's dad. So he turns out to be... So I, I, it's been set up that he is like a super intense, overbearing, scary, like far-right militia weird. But... Um, but it turns know. out he's just a cop, am I right? <laughs> well, yeah. He's like, a, he's like a gristled homicide cop. And he turns out to be so much more normal than he's been set up to be that that was a little disappointing like it's it's funny that he looks at wallowitz and is like i don't like anything about you all right everything is sucked the only thing that might salvage this is you being an astronaut that i kind of liked but um like all this bizarre shit that we were led to believe is he just like just barely keeping it under wraps for the sake of politeness like did like as wallowitz was like walking into the door does he hit a lever that like the confederate flag rolls up and like the i don't know the fairly obvious nazi imagery all kind of like turns around and goes behind some false walls or something because he is not what i was expecting he seemed so much more just like a normal boring dad guy yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, a normal morning gad guy who is sitting at his on his couch in the middle of the evening looking at old homicide photos of people being blown up into fractions, his words, for fun oh, yeah. and to relax. Yeah. As, a, as a criminal defense attorney, I totally get the, <laughs> uh, the vibe of just hanging out and being like, hey, you just want to like vibe on trauma for a while, huh? Remember, just talk about the fucked up things we've all been through. 
uh, that was a thing. Uh, I won't go on a tangent about it, but uh, uh, another defense attorney and I were talking with uh, our, uh, our co-worker who is new to the biz, not an attorney. And we were talking about uh, some things we take for granted working in defense attorney offices, such as the fact that at any time we're exposed to any number of unhinged, violent people that could come in and harm us. And we just kind of take it for granted. And she's like, why would you ever expose your place? That's insane. We're both like, what are you talking about? That's just a job. What are you going to do? Um, yeah. The things that you just kind of, you just kind of take. Audience, remember, remember this for later when, I, when it's time for the nerd thing of the week. I'm just always thinking about the Matrix. Um, anyway, other stuff about the actual episode. Like, th- this is a weird, this isn't a criticism, but like so much forward momentum, actual couple-centric stuff happened that I don't feel like I have a lot of nitpicking. Like, there was good That's Yeah, that's, stuff. that was my feeling as well. Um, also, yeah. I want to, before we move on from Wallowitz and Bernadette's dad, I just, I, I, the show is not smart enough to make this, kind of uh work thematically well maybe it is maybe i'm not giving sorry i always undercut the show by just assuming that i'm smarter than the writers in the room but maybe i'm not maybe they did intend this but the what what's the one thing that defines wallowitz as a character other than the fact that he's a big creepazoid or used to be a big creepazoid are we talking about his mommy issues or his jewishness or his... his giant his giant issues with his mom so we finally meet uh the i mean you're right that he's not that weird, but basically, oh, there, there. I thought it was almost sort of perfect that uh, we meet Bernadette, and her personality is defined in at least some sense by a reaction against her father. And it's great because Wallowitz famously doesn't have a dad, so there was something that was almost poignant about this grizzled old man who can crack a walnut with his hands. Being like, I don't like you, I don't respect you, but you know, you're going to be my son-in-law if you can just man up for five seconds and get on a rocket ship. I hope we do see Wallowitz barfing on himself at some point. We won't. I have to keep, I have to stop, I have to take the show as it is. I have to stop just wanting what I want it to be. <sighs> speaking I have to though, love you as you are. Speaking of what I want, wanting what I want it to be, and I hope this observation doesn't make anyone uncomfortable, but Alan Bialik looks hot as a Star Trek nurse or Star Trek doctor. Oh, so yeah, uh, skimmed very quickly over that, but that is, uh, is that the final image of the episode where Leonard comes home to the apartment? Uh, he has an awkward confrontation with Penny where he's like, Hey, uh, about the weird proposal in bed the other night, you never really answered me in my notes. I put like Leonard, what the fuck are you doing? Because, like, the best thing I think you can do in that, well, maybe not, is I was going to say never talk about it again. That's probably not appropriate. But not to, not to push the issue. Uh, but, but what Penny does, and I think this is a real good Penny move, is that, oh, she gives him a big wet one uh, and then says no and saunters off down the stairs, leaving Leonard uh, befuddled. And so... Oh, all confused and in love, he he walks into the apartment to see uh, Sheldon lying on his back on the couch with uh, Amy over him with, uh, I don't know, I assume a tricorder or something. I also assumed it was a tricorder. Wearing one of the blue kind of 60s style uh, Starfleet uniforms. The ones with Uh, the miniskirts. Yes, specifically the ones with the miniskirts. 
And was she green? And, and the boots. No, and the she boots. was. No, she was not green she, and antenna. But they might have put some extra makeup. She just she looked a little different. Uh, well, she sure her hair was different for sure. But yeah, yeah she was maybe that cute. was it. Yeah. And, and yeah, so she's like, "Oh, we're playing like Doctor the Wink Star Trek style." Uh, so yeah, um, cute cute ending. And and Sheldon is happy, but mis- uh, I I feel you, brother. So yeah, you know, anything else about this one? I feel like that was fun. I don't know. Anything else, Kyle? Uh, nope. That's we basically covered it. Oh, I guess one uh, this tiny little thing. It was just kind of cute. Uh, Wallowitz, uh does propose. Uh, not literally, but to <laughs> suggests to Bernadette that they do the uh, um, final dance from Dirty Dancing at the wedding. Uh, but the gender swap it because Wallowitz is so dainty and it would be cute. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, now let us transition onto our nerdy thing of the week. Uh, I already know what mine is going to be. I'm ready to talk about it. I'm still yeah, anxious go ahead. about what yours... Okay. Yeah, I'm going to make go. you wait just a little longer. Oh, for Christ's sake. So... Uh, I will try not to gush too much about mine because I'm early in and my mood may change. But uh, Elden Ring came out last week. I, I decided to give it a try after having very mixed feelings about these FromSoft games. But uh, I've got to recommend it. And uh, I'll tell you, the reason I have trouble with these FromSoft-style games, for anyone who isn't familiar with these, uh, they are... Could you name, like, for instance, Dark Souls being the most famous one? Yes, yes. Dark Souls is the most famous, and there's a trio of those. Bloodborne, also very popular. And uh, these are uh, mostly uh, action-adventure-style games uh, known for their very steep learning curve and uh, unforgiving combat. And uh, they have RPG elements, too. And um, the, the thing that people love about them is... That they are very rewarding if you can get over that difficulty hump. Uh, but the thing that I have uh, frust- that I find frustrating about them is that uh, they're not super linear, but they're, they're, they are fairly linear. And what ends up happening to me is uh, the, the checkpoints in these games are, are pretty far apart, and I will feel like I'm going on uh, a series of gauntlets. And that on each gauntlet, I don't feel like I'm necessarily getting better at the game. I'm just getting better at memorizing that gauntlet. And it just kind of becomes, um, I don't know, not exactly a war of attrition. I was th- I've been thinking of it almost like a time travel mechanic where <laughs> you can pick up items and get permanent advantages. To, to uh, But uh, every time that you restart at a checkpoint, all the enemies come back. However, yeah, it is. You th- it is a oh, lot the- like it's. Uh, I mean, it is a lot like Groundhog's Day, isn't it? Yes, you're, you're just doing it over and over again until you can finesse your way through. Although, uh, well, couldn't someone as I was? Couldn't someone argue that all video games are essentially, at least since Mario, are Groundhog's I think, Day? I think that's also true, and I think that's um, something that maybe is the reason why these games are popular is it does go back to a time in games where that's what you had to do to get through them, that you couldn't just wait for your stats to go up to a certain level where you could just power through whatever. You eventually do have to hit above that skill ladder, whatever it is, to to overcome. Now, 
And I found that pretty frustrating. I, I didn't like that I could get near the end of a section of that gauntlet. Um, and, and not an NPC, but like a low-level enemy that I just didn't see coming comes out, hits me twice, kills me, and I have to do the whole thing over again. Elden Ring. Similar style game. Open world. Has very similar gameplay. Near identical gameplay. But with the open world element, whenever I feel that frustrating feeling... It is so incredibly relieving to just go do something else, to go explore whatever else, to feel like it, the game is. Uh, uh, people online are saying it's like the hardest one ever. I don't know. It doesn't bother me because I can just kind of go wander around and do my own thing. I no longer feel like I'm just bashing into a wall. And there are times where I'm like, ooh, is this boss too difficult? Am, am I not skillful enough? Or do I just have to go around and learn more about like the environment uh, before I take this on. But I don't care because uh, the environment is so much fun to explore uh, that uh, I'm having a fun time regardless of what I'm doing. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's, it's really hard to overstate how satisfying this open world environment. It's densely packed with... Uh, things to find everywhere, uh, bosses that you just don't expect to be there, uh, little bits of lore, uh, but, oh, and something else I was comparing it to uh, in my mind <laughs> was uh, The Witcher 3, where I think The Witcher 3 had a world that was a lot of fun to explore. The problem it had is that it has a lot of the sameness that comes with massive open world games which is they have like five or six of the same kinds of missions that they repost over and over and over throughout the world and you have the same issues with combat where you're fighting the same kind of guys over and over and over again and you eventually become super powered elden ring you, you don't have quests you don't have missions uh and the enemies uniformly if you're not careful can kind of fuck you up which i think works in this game where i didn't really love it in the more linear style games it makes environments always feel kind of like thrilling to adventure through in a way that's not nearly as punishing as it was in the other games. So I don't know. Maybe I'm getting carried away. But this is like the first of the Souls games that I just am super into. Uh, so Elden Ring, I two thumbs up. That's awesome. As someone who has played, who is determined to beat the first Dark Souls and only ever gets to inevitably a point where he, I just want to cry and ask why I'm doing this. That's the other thing is, like you've said, you get to a point in that game where you're just like, well, I can't go forward anymore because I'm obviously not good enough, but there's no way backwards either. So I'm literally just trapped in this one corridor forever. Yeah, uh, and then it's like, do I go through a small area and grind... Like, yeah. to very slowly, incrementally make myself stronger? <laughs> or, yeah, do I somehow leap over this skill gap, which is very often seems insurmountable? <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So my recommendation, I'm going to start off with an, an, an unfair question because you would have no way of knowing where my mind is going with this. But I'm just, uh, who is the, who do you think is the best 
original superhero created since the days of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, who isn't, and what I mean by that, like someone who is not fundamentally just like an airsat, like a copycat or like the next generation mantle of some other priorly created character who is an original comic book character who's a superhero who are like, ah, this is really, this is great and new and something, uh, something different. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't have a good one for you, Kyle. I can't get enough of that Deadpool. That Merc yeah. with a mouth, I tell you. I think some people would say Deadpool, maybe Wolverine. Uh, for me, I think the answer I realized recently is it's Hellboy. All right. All right. So, um, something weird I learned about Hellboy because I was looking into it. Um, Hellboy and Spawn were create first appeared in comic books less than a year apart which is why right because if you look at if you just look at those comic books it's like spawn feels very much like the apotheosis of like the early 90s comic books and hellboy i mean for all of the good and bad of that mostly bad hellboy when you read it looks like something that came out at least 10 years later that was how, like, in terms of the quality of the art and the storytelling and the narrative, that's just, like, how far ahead of the curve of what, like, mainstream comics was doing at the time that those original stories were. So, um, for those of you who don't know, Hellboy is a comic book created by uh, artist and writer Mike, uh, I don't know how you say his last name, Mignola is my guess. I think that's it, yeah. I'm never sure, but I think that's right. Uh, so Mike Mignola, who was a major um, artist for uh, Marvel and DC for a long time, he did Batman and everyone else. And then he started. He ended up. Uh, he wanted to create his own comic book. And uh, at some point, while palling around for that, he he was always obsessed with like occult stuff and like you know maybe doing like a Ghostbusters style book or something. And he eventually came up with the idea of this character. Um, Hellboy and Hellboy is, as his name suggests, literally just a demon from hell who has landed on Earth and is and is now a paranormal detective and investigator and adventurer. And um, he if you like his official origin story is in the 1940s, the Nazis tried to use the Nazis and <laughs> Rasputin. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was not in fact who who was alive and not in fact dead and a very powerful wizard tried to use magic to summon something that would defeat the allies in World War II but they got the the spell was unpredictable so they did open a portal to hell and summon a summon the destroyer of worlds but he appeared in the middle of London and he was a baby so Fast forward like 30 years and this baby has grown up and he is like a seven foot tall red, uh, you know, jacked dude with cloven feet and horns that he files off on his head who wears a trench coat and carries a big gun and, you know, uh, fights demons and monsters and fairies and shit. Um, and it sounds absurd. I guess it is absurd. But the thing that ties it all together is... Um, just the incredible art, which is all like very like moody and inky and shadowy, so that like no matter how like weird like all of the supernatural stuff is, it it doesn't look like it it like is just abstract enough that it makes sense next to like the people. 
and just sort of the overall tone and world building of the whole thing. So like this is a world that does not actually have superheroes explicitly in it for the most part, but it does have all of that other weird like like stuff that you would associate with superhero tropes, like Nazis who build giant robots and like, you know, uh vampires and weird monsters and super science and everything else and and it's like normal people live their lives but also they're just they're you know they also understand that like yeah you know every now and then like you know bigfoot bigfoot's real and also hellboy we know him and it's just like and so the entire history of this world uh unfolds slowly in this weird way that's sort of this perfect uh like magical realism or urban fantasy or something like that where it's just like human beings have always co like coexisted like basically all of the myths and fairy tales and stuff are true and literal and all of that stuff coexists with like you know you and your co-workers and your friends who are just trying to go out and live their day-to-day lives and it's a really funny mix so the first couple of comics uh were very popular um like a lot of people almost instantly were like, oh yeah, this is the good stuff. And then it was adapted into a pair of films by uh, Guillermo del Toro. This was, uh, I mean, he was already a big deal, but I don't think he'd made Pan's Labyrinth yet. And this was way before he made The Shape of Water. And so uh, those were not like super popular movies, but popular enough that they're well-respected as part of Guillermo del Toro's oeuvre. And then they recently made a new one in 2019, which was the one I watched, or 2020, whatever. It was probably made in 2019. Anyway, that's the one I watched uh, recently that got me to go back and reread a bunch of the comics and get deeper into it. And so all of the movies are fine. Like, I would recommend all of them. They're all pretty good. But I would really recommend just the comic book, which is... um. Well, actually, I would recommend, like, the greater comic book universe. So, like, Hellboy starts off as, like, a standalone, like, it's basically just short stories that are running in, like, anthologies that later get collected. And then as Hellboy becomes more and more popular, like, he gets his own, like, miniseries. And then, um, like, all of the other, like, extended characters who are part of his universe start getting their own comic books. Um, The most famous of which is, like... His most famous co-star is a guy named Abe Sapien, who is literally just like, hey, what if the creature from the Black Lagoon were also really polite? And then, um, and then the, the government agency that he works for sometimes, the BPRD, which is the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. So those stories all kind of have like a weird mix of like, uh, X-Files vibe and, uh, I don't know, like, paramilitary like in the arc that i'm reading right now which is they're you know they're they're fighting a war against like frog demons you know and it's like it's like a it's like a 30 issue miniseries about like you know the bprd versus like this endless these like sleeper cells of frog demons who are determined to like you know take over america and summon eldritch monsters and everything like that and it's just so good it's so good the writing is so good the character work is so good and i really love I really come to appreciate Hellboy as, like, a character. Like, the way he's drawn. Uh, Alan Moore, who wrote the uh, introduction to, I think, the second volume of the comic, of the collected comic book, uh, who famously never says anything nice about anyone ever, (laughs) was like, nah, 
Hellboy is pretty great. Hellboy is basically like reading a Jack Kirby comic book, only it's good. It's not just as good as those comic books are if you read them now. It's as good as you remember them being, which is a pretty like crazy thing to say. And after reading that, I was like, oh, yeah, Hellboy is basically like, you know, the thing or uh, or like, uh, you know, Etrigan. The, he's like one of those, you know, uh, hard talking, cigar smoking, like, you know, tough guy superheroes that you don't get anymore who's just like in the middle of this giant cosmology that's like very hard to understand but he's like he's great and he's action-packed and this is what i was the other weird impression that i had reading it is hellboy's whole vibe is kind of funny because um this is a mild spoiler but you find this out pretty early in the run his destiny is that he is eventually supposed to like bring about the end times which is kind of a weird thing in this universe because it's not like a strictly Judeo-Christian universe. Like, there is there is a hell. There are very obviously demons because Hellboy is one of them. So there is some sense in which he is, like, a devil from hell. But, like, you know, this is also a universe that has, like, fairies and Cthulhu in it. So how does that work? So, like, part of the mystery is, like, how, do our, how does, like, a demon from hell fit into, like, this broader cosmology? But it's very clear, like, Hellboy's destiny is that he is eventually supposed to open an interdimensional portal and, like, unleash this demon, the Ogru Jihad, which is going to, like, you know, swarm Earth with tentacles and murder everyone, and that will be the end of all things. That is, like, the sole reason for which he was summoned and brought to Earth. And his his whole vibe, whenever someone brings that up, is just like, ah, yeah, but, you know, what can you do? I don't really want to do that. <laughs> And, you know, he's constantly fighting, like, bad, like, Rasputin, who's like, no, don't you want to seize your destiny? He's like, "It, no. He's like, I really just don't want to think about it. I kind of have a job to do. And then, like, day to day, whenever anything, like, whenever he's sent on a mission, you know, it always starts out with, like, you know, ah, something incredibly fucked up and horrible and mysterious is happening. He's like, don't worry, I got this. And it's like, are you sure? It's like, people are being eaten alive. He's like, oh, he's like, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I've seen worse. It's like, aren't you supposed to be the Antichrist? He's like, yeah, let's not, let's not talk about that too much. Can we just do our jobs here, people? Um, and he really, this is, this is the thing I wanted to say, something about his reassuring and slightly sad demeanor as he wades through the day-to-day horror of his existence, you know, sort of resigned to never be the thing that other people that, like, he's expected to be, but to still do good in the world, he reminds me a lot of, of you, Nick. I'm a hellboy? You, you, I something about his personality. You are, like... Much more like in the movies, I know that he gets played like you. This is probably hard to understand if you see him, think of him as being played by like Ron Perlman or David Harbour. But I swear to God, his 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 actual demeanor in the comics is much closer to like a disgruntled public defender who is just trying to, you know, get get shit, get through shit. I've read a very limited uh, range of the comics and I, I know that he is generally a pretty glum chum. <laughs> <laughs> but he does get the job done, uh, and I can relate to that. I also, uh, part of my, my male pattern baldness does come from regularly shaving off my horns, so I appreciate that being part of it. Aw. Aw. Aw, I want to, aw, man. I also have never told you this, but Nazis did summon me, <laughs> which... <laughs> 
is if we could wind the tape back 10 seconds and I could take that admission back, I'd really like that. But oh, it's out there now. What are you going to do? Uh, it turns out, as, as long as you end up turning against the Nazis, no one's going to hold that. Man, now I got to watch. Want to go back and watch those Hellboy movies and those old comics? Because I, yeah, like I said, I've, I've read very little of the Hellboy comics. But you know what comic book I have on the way is the the hardbound edition, uh, collecting the original run of what, like the late six, maybe like mid sixties Barbarella comics. <laughs> so oh. that's that's the kind of culture I'm engaging in. Mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I saw the uh, the film Barbarella for the second time recently and I was like I gotta know more I gotta get back into that freaky early French minds okay well what are we doing now we got Hellboys we get Elden the other good thing I, I meant to, I should probably if you want to get into the good thing about Hellboy is that like the the collected editions um, the chronology is sort of weird because like I said it's not like uh, you know Batman where it was intended to be published issues one through whatever they're all like sort of weirdly they were weirdly originally published but you can just like go online and you can get the library like one through six and they're pretty cheap too so you know you can read you there's a lot of supplemental and side stories and stuff that you you'll be missing out on but if you just want like to get into like the main stuff that's a and uh from what i remember uh i don't know how you feel about it if the artwork is remarkable compared to other works of the current day but that was always a standout uh, feature for me. I don't know exactly how to describe it. Kind of uh, blocky, blunt framing of the work. Especially like, he, he doesn't do like a lot of detailed... F- anyway, I'll stop. No, he doesn't. And he uses... No, you're right. He, he like, I think it's a deliberate stylistic choice that just works. And he also uses yes. like a huge amount of ink on the panel. So it's like whatever you're looking at, like half of it is just covered in shadow. Um, but not like in a noir way, just like in a, like, you know, it's just like, oh, I get it. There's, you know, there's a lot of darkness in this world. Yeah. Not like literal shadow covering panels, but just like stylistically that, yeah. Uh, now I want to go back and read all this. All right. You know, Elden Ring's pretty cool, but get more cult. Go back, read, read some Hellboy and then maybe play some of these from soft games. I don't know. They're pretty hard. You got to get good if you're going to do that. And if you want to do that, you got to. Read Hellboy so you know what suffering is like before you get killed over and over and over by some random jerk with a crossbow they didn't see from across the... But it's still a good game. It's so good. It's so good. Alright, well, I, as one of the only people I know who has a PS5, I look forward to playing it on that. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine how it looks on a PS5. It looks quite good on a PS4. I imagine everything being so much more crisp and fresh on your magical wonder box will make it even better. Yeah, you can actually see George R. R. Martin hiding in the corners of the frame, being like, technically I wrote the story for this. <laughs>